0: Good morning, church. Thank you. Midland Free, welcome to Youth Sunday. My name is Micah Carroll. I'm a senior at Midland High School, and I get to preach today. (laughs) Thank you. Youth Sunday is something I look forward to every single year, and I feel very honored to have the opportunity to share with you what God has been putting on my heart over this past year. A lot of work goes into this production, so before we get started, can we give a round of applause to all the students? and adults who make this service happen year after year. So I've got a lot to share with you today, but before we dive in, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for every person involved with you Sunday, from the students to the adults to the tech crew. This is all to bring glory to your name and not our own. I ask that you would speak through me today as I talk about comfort in the church and read from your word. In your name we pray, Amen. Thank you. So before worship, Hunter read a passage from Mark 1 where Jesus calls his disciples to give up their livelihood and follow him. So that's the direction we're heading. But first, I want to share with you what God has been teaching me and convicting me of this past year. What I will be sharing with you today is basically my entire last year of life in a sermon. God has been taking me on an incredible journey over this past year that has caused me to question and rethink what this Christian life is all about. This journey has been incredibly difficult and hard, and very frustrating, but yet so rewarding. So I'm really excited to share it with you today. So here's where my story starts. This past June, I had the opportunity to travel to Port-au-Prince, Haiti with our youth ministry, Extreme, on a mission trip. There in Haiti, we served alongside the Midland-based ministry, Haiti Foundation Against Poverty, which you may be familiar with from their downtown boutique store, Gift of Hope. Having been on a handful of mission trips before, I had a few expectations, of what I thought this adventure would entail, but I could not have been more wrong. The first circumstance that caught me off guard actually happened before we reached Haiti. When in Charlotte, North Carolina, awaiting our second flight, a one-hour delay turned into a two-hour delay, into a three-hour delay, and finally a canceled flight. Has anyone been there before? It's not fun. It's also not fun when you're with 12 high school students without their cell phones. So if you can imagine, it was quite boring, 10 hours actually of boredom. So the result of these delays and flight canceled, cancellation ended in our team spending the night on the floor of Miami airport. Now a photo's about to pop up, and I'm a pretty optimistic guy, so I thought of this, uh, spending that on the floor experience, was kind gonna be, gonna be kinda like a big camping trip with my friends, right? Uh, except, even more exciting, no tent, no setup, it's a lot easier, okay? So you can see a fanny, fanny pack proudly clipped, you know. I'm, I'm excited, I'm ready to go. Uh, but in this next photo you'll see it was quite underwhelming. Um, <laughs> face down on the floor for five hours uh, before traveling to a foreign country that I've never been to before. Uh, it didn't go exactly as planned and it was quite uncomfortable. Although very inconvenient, I was still vastly unprepared for what I was about to experience next. Before landing in Haiti, I thought I would find myself having profound spiritual experiences and God showing up all over the place. And yeah, God did show up, just not in the way I had expected. Day two in Haiti, our team went for a prayer walk in the slum. The poverty I saw was so extreme, it felt as if I was watching a National Geographic film. But, for starters, this particular slum was built on a ravine and completely full of trash. And it also wasn't uncommon to see pigs walking alongside of you, Uh, getting out of the way for pigs to eat their trash, you know. Um, And it just overwhelmed me. This wasn't a National Geographic film. This was real. Like, I was experiencing this poverty firsthand. I felt like I was in way over my head. And I found myself asking a very tough question. Where is God in this? That's a scary question, right? I didn't expect to ask that on a mission trip. I was on a mission trip for crying out loud. I had expected it to be relatively easy to see God at work around me. I began playing what I saw as a very frustrating game of hide-and-go-seek with God himself, and I was losing badly. What I mean by this is there would be instances where I would catch a glimpse of God, but never in the holistic way I was so desperately seeking. But thankfully, my story does not end there. At the most unexpected moment, God revealed himself to me in a very powerful way. In Haiti, our team stayed at the Hope House orphanage owned by the Haiti Foundation Against Poverty. It's common for in Haiti homes, it's common for Haiti homes to be guarded by large cement walls with the only access being a metal gate. And over the week our team had the privilege of getting to know our gatekeeper and his name was Guap. Now, another photo is about to pop up and Guap is going to be standing in the middle and I'm standing next to him. Yes, that's Ben Fazek who is playing the guitar with Dreadlocks. Or not box, excuse me, cornros, next to him. Um, and Guap is very, a very recognizable guy as he constantly wore a sparkly fedora in which he would rotate depending on the direction of the sun. You know, he was very on his feet, thinking, thinking ahead of, you know. He's a great guy. And um, Guap's job was to open and close the gate when we arrived and also to keep watch overnight. And we were really grateful, him, grateful for him. And one of our projects was to deliver Bibles translated in the Creole language uh, which is very rare in Haiti, to a group of believers in the slum where Guap, Guap lives. Guap's home consisted of a bedsheet ceiling, a dirt floor, and a small table in the center that took up the majority of the space. Inside, we were introduced to Guap's wife, Lucien, who began excitedly sharing with us her testimony. She shared with us that much of her life, she practiced voodoo and other forms of devil worship to find fulfillment. And it completely consumed every aspect of her life. But through encounters with Mallory and Franz, who run the Haiti Foundation Against Poverty, she found true satisfaction and joy through salvation offered by Jesus. She began to share with us how she now opens her home to all those who live in her slum, sharing with them the good news that she has found. And we definitely saw evidence of that. During Lucien's testimony, large groups of Haitians began to pour into the very small room we were in, eager to receive a Bible in their own language, which they had never had before. Now, there wasn't much room to start with, as I mentioned, as the table took up, I think, 50% of the room we were in. But that did not stop people from coming. They were so eager to receive the gospel in their language that there was large groups of people just standing in the road outside of the home that we were in. At the time, I didn't know what was really going on because everyone began to break out spontaneously into song. And as someone who only speaks one language, uh, I didn't know what they were singing. But I could see the emotion and the passion behind the words that they were singing, even if I didn't know what they meant. Tears began to pour down their faces, and it was truly the most powerful worship experience I have ever been a part of. That night, I was really curious, so I asked the translator what the chorus of the song was, and it turns out the chorus they're repeating over and over again was We lack nothing, for we have Jesus. Isn't that incredible? People who we would consider to have nothing feel as if they have absolutely everything. Once I let that sink in, this whole hide and go seek game I felt like I had been playing for that week began to make sense. I had fallen victim to comfort. Comfort is perhaps the most dangerous state a Christian can fall into. Growing up in the Midland bubble, I was not used to seeking God in the midst of discomfort. I then asked myself another hard question that I would challenge you to ask yourself. If it were me living under those bed sheets, would I be so satisfied in my relationship with Jesus? that I could say, I lack nothing for I have Jesus? And I'll be vulnerable with you and give you my honest answer. The answer was no. This realization has forced me to take action. It has forced me to reevaluate my goals in life. I've had to pursue transformation that goes beyond words. I've had to recklessly abandon comfort in pursuit of a new way of life. This is how I ended up here today. I've been challenged this past year, specifically in two areas of my life in which I find comfort financial comfort, and situational comfort. Financial comfort can basically be summed up into two words, bread and circuses. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, what does bread and circuses mean? Like, what's this guy talking about? Uh, But give me a moment and I'll explain. Bread and circuses is a figure of speech specifically referring to superficial means of appeasement. And what that means is, uh, generally used in a political context, uh, they would manipulate the people and, divert their attention by making them comfortable and giving them free entertainment and free food so they would not rise up against the government that was actually corrupt. And this was first unleashed in Rome in the second century B.C. by appeasing the working class with just that, free food and free entertainment. Why would you overthrow the government when you're so comfortable and they're feeding you? A very interesting quote that really kind of sums up what I'm trying to say here is by a man named Marco Tullio, which I checked, uh, I checked the Italian <laughs> dialect. Yeah, it's great. Um, and he was a politician and lawyer at the time. And he said, The evil is not in the bread or circuses, per se, but in the willingness of the people to sell their rights as free men, for full bellies, and for the excitement of the games, which would serve to them to distract the other human hungers, which bread and circuses could never appease. It's not that the literal bread and circuses Was evil, but instead that the people allowed it to serve as a massive distraction to the things that really do matter in life. Isn't that just what the devil wants? If we, if if we as Christians are distracted, we are then deemed ineffective to advancing the gospel. Much of what the American dream entails, and what the status quo entails, closely simulates the effect that bread and circuses had on those people. Let me ask you a question. What distracts you from going all in and running after Jesus? Maybe for some of you, it's March Madness. Maybe it's cars, fashion, social media followers, income, your career, grades, popularity at school. Like I mentioned, not all of these things are necessarily evil, but it's when we make these trivial pursuits our life's mission that we enter into a very dangerous state of comfort. We have two options, Midland Free. Two status quos, the American status quo and the status quo of a disciple. You can either follow the American dream or you can follow Jesus. So which will you choose? John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, includes an article from a 1998 issue of Reader's Digest that further illustrates this point. So I'm going to read that for you right here. Quote, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 issue of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago, 20 years ago today, when he was 59 and she was 51. They now live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, playing softball and collecting seashells. At first, when I read this, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream, Come to the end of your life, your one and only God-given life, precious, and let the last great work of your life be before you give an account to your creator, this, playing softball and collecting seashells. Picture them before Christ on the day of judgment, saying, Look, Lord, see my seashell collection? That is a tragedy. People today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put in my protest, don't buy it, don't waste your life, end quote. Midland Free, be careful. We've been created for so, so much more. What's one passion in your life that makes everything else look like rubbish in comparison? My, pra- my prayer for you and myself is that God would wreck our desire for the American dream and instead awaken in us an unquenchable thirst for deeper and more intimate relationship with Jesus. Well, meeting with Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeremy, and Pastor Chuck in preparation for today's service I heard one word repeated over and over again, exposition. Well, I finally arrived to that part of my sermon where you pull out your Bibles, or if you're lazy like me, and you sit back and wait for the words to pop up on the screen, that's fine too. <laughs> Today we'll be reading from two passages, the first being John 1:35 35-42. Verse 35 reads, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. In this passage, Jesus calls his disciples to come and see, to experience his ministry. And that's exactly what they did. And if you continue reading into the next chapter... These disciples experienced Jesus turning water into wine. Can you imagine that? It's pretty crazy. The disciples came to know Jesus really for who he said he was, and they saw that he was authentic and the real deal. Now try to put yourself into the disciples' shoes. How uncomfortable would it be to get up and follow a guy that you didn't know very well? How uncomfortable would you be to leave your family and your job? Would you be a little shaken if you saw some dude turn water to wine? I would. Well, that's exactly how the disciples felt uncomfortable. And evidence of this is that after their little field trip with Jesus, they immediately went back to their former lives. We will now be jumping to Mark 1, 16 through 20, which comes chronologically next in the story. So Mark 1, 16 through 20 reads Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and, br- and the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they said to their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. As you can see, the disciples who returned back to their comfortable lives were now faced with an abrupt decision. Would they, make Jesus following, would they make following Jesus a priority over everything else in their life, even their own livelihood? A very important word in this passage is immediately. Immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. Following Jesus was worth it. They went from casting their nets at schools of fish to Jesus' school on how to catch people for the kingdom. What I want you to take away from these passages is that Jesus calls everyday people, students, doctors, engineers at Dow, teachers, even fishermen, to throw away comfort and make him your number one priority in your life. To follow Jesus, the disciples had to give up a job they loved, a steady income, and probably acceptance from families and friends, as you can assume, leaving everything to follow some guy probably, didn't, probably wasn't in their agenda. To truly pursue Jesus, the disciples were forced to recklessly abandon comfort, recklessly abandon the status quo in pursuit of a new status quo the status quo of a disciple. Truly living the status quo of a disciple is something that I struggle with. In order to do so, I must recognize that God's plan over my life is way more important than my own. A status quo of a disciple is counting everything as loss. Everything is rubbish in comparison to Jesus. That's all of your possessions, all of your own self-worth, like all, anything, all of your accomplishments, your own agenda— this launches me into the second area of comfort that I've been convicted of situational comfort. So I'm currently a second semester senior at Midland High. Many students here in the front row are going to experience what I'm feeling in a couple of years, and many of your parents are familiar with this word and dread it. Senioritis. Senioritis is defined as a supposed affliction of students in their final year of high school characterized by a decline in motivation or performance. Senioritis is a great example of situational comfort. To graduate from Midland Public Schools, I'm required to have four math credits, four English credits, three science credits, and two language credits, which I received by the skin of my teeth. And I have them all. The point I'm trying to prove here is I'm graduating. On May 24th, I will be walking across that stage with a diploma in hand. Knowing this has, well, caused a few of my grades to fall. I know I'm graduating, so it's really easy for me to get comfortable put up my feet, and throw in the towel. I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> as Christians, we find ourselves in a very similar situation. We, too, are graduating. If we believe we're going to heaven, it's easy to get comfortable here on earth. It's easy to lose the urgency to share the gospel with others, even the people we love. The status quo of a disciple requires one to count everything else as rubbish in comparison to Jesus. That's hard. That's hard. In the passages we just read, we can clearly see the reluctancy for the disciples, the, the reluctancy um, and the disciples' urge to, for them to return to familiarity after Jesus' ministry, experiencing Jesus' ministry. But when it came down to their decision, with no hesitation, they dropped everything immediately. It was worth it. So what does this mean for us? To wrap this up, I want to ask a few questions to help you zero in on what might be distracting you what might be diverting your attention from what really matters in life i'm going to ask a series of questions and i'm not expecting you to answer out loud but seriously give these some thought you might be a comfortable christian if dot 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 that's how this is going to work okay you feel no urgency to share the gospel with your unsaved friends you might be a comfortable christian if studying the bible only affirms your beliefs but never causes you to ask questions you might be a little comfortable if you find satisfaction solely in your salary. You might be a little bit comfortable if time—if you spend more time talking about your politics than your faith. You might be a comfortable Christian if you only surround yourself with people who affirm your beliefs. Those are a few questions that I've been asking myself. Midland Free, what, are, what bread and circuses are present in your life, distracting you from what really matters? What's God calling you to give up? Like I explained earlier, I'm on this journey with you. What God is calling me to give up is my own agenda. Going to college, I'm going to be presented with many opportunities of how I want to spend my time. Between school, work, and play, God's calling me to be salt in life, salt and light on my college campus this next semester. I have to be prepared to say no to activities that I enjoy as it may conflict, conflict with campus ministry and personal devotion time, etc., My prayer is that God would take our longing and desire for comfort and shift our focus on those things to himself. That he would wreck our desire for the status quo and then again create in us an unquenchable thirst for more and more of just himself so that we can truly say, I lack nothing for I have Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we are far from perfect. I pray that you would lead us to live courageous lives, leaving behind the comfort and the status quo and pursuing the one and only thing that can truly satisfy us, more of yourself. In your name we pray, amen.